everybody, and welcome to Zoological, the show where the hosts don't bite, but our subjects just might. My name's Allie, and I am not an expert. And my name's Anna, and I am certainly not an expert. So, it's been a while. The dog got sick, and then we got sick. And midterms. And midterms. And we're still sick, by the way. Yes, so I will be editing out a lot of calls from this episode. Speaking of which, I will be editing this episode... As she did the last episode, actually. Please give all credit for the amazing editing of last episode to Allie. It won't be that amazing. I'm real sick of that episode. But the reason I'm editing this episode is because this podcast is going to be for my class again. Hi, class. It started with a class project and it ends. No, we're not ending the podcast. But it will be ending my degree as this being part of a class project. Mm -hmm. Part of the reason I've been so busy is because I have midterms, and I'm applying for jobs at the same time in the middle of COVID and being sick and the puppy being sick. And life is, is busy, and that's that's life. But we're back again. As of December 14th, I am done my degree. Does that mean I can call myself an expert? I mean, you already do. Well, no, you say you're not an expert, I guess. You know, I directly say I'm not an expert. But I mean, you're not exactly... It's not like you're getting a degree in animal behavior or something. I'm getting a degree in primatology. Okay, yeah, you can call yourself an expert on primatology. Yes, so I'm an expert on this episode. Exactly. We're back to monkeys, folks. Look, it was for class. I studied primatology. You kind of had to know it was going to be monkeys. Mm -hmm. She comes up with any excuse possible to bring us back to monkeys. So the monkey we're going to be looking at today is not one of my favorite monkeys, but they're a very interesting monkey. And what we're looking at is the marmoset. Do you have any idea why we're looking at the marmoset? I don't know why we're looking at the marmoset, but it's a monkey I've heard of before. It's a monkey you've heard of before. We're looking at the marmoset because I had a paper on it, and the paper was in my reproduction class. This is about monkeys who release multiple eggs. Marmosets almost always have twins. Oof. Every time they reproduce, twins. Oof. Yeah. You know there's a higher chance of us having twins, right? If we do IVF. I'm going to talk about people who have a higher chance of having twins, though, after the break in this episode. Okay, okay. Because I'm my paper, ahead of myself. Yes. Because my paper technically had to be connected to humans. So in the last paragraph, I connected it back to humans. <laughs> That's not true. It was comparing marmoset twinning and human twinning. It was all about marmoset humans. But the monkeys are what's important for this podcast. And I apologize for lying, my prof who is listening to this, because this is part of the class now. <laughs> <laughs> so, getting into marmosets. Marmosets, uh, to learn about their twins, we have to learn about what they are first, because, Anna, what is a marmoset? A monkey. You got anything else? No, I, I, I was hoping you wouldn't ask me because I know nothing besides their name. So you lied to me. No, I said I've heard of them. That wasn't a lie. That was a truth. I didn't say I knew anything about them besides I've literally name. heard the word, nothing else. Yeah, I've, I've like, heard about them on Discovery Channel, but I didn't, like, absorb any of the information. Well, marmosets are important, not just because of their twinning abilities, but because they are actually the smallest monkeys. Oh, it's the tiny ones. Now, mind you, they are the smallest monkeys, not the smallest primates. Not the smallest apes. They're not apes, so yes, that is true. Oh, but Anna, do you remember my catchphrase? Humans ain't special. No, this is our personal catchphrase that um, I've said essentially since I was a baby, because my Grammy has told me a story about me saying this. 
Do you remember this stupid phrase? Oh, which one is it? Lemurs aren't monkeys. That's not ringing a bell. You've heard this on many occasions. Eh, well, it didn't sink in, obviously. Well, there are species of lemurs that are much smaller than the marmoset. And specifically, actually, the marmoset and the tamarin, because the family that they're part of includes two species. But there are these little guys called mouse lemurs, and they're tiny little things. I've they're, seen those. Yes, they're very, very small. And they are smaller than the marmoset. But they're not a monkey. They're a lemur. Because lemurs are part of the gr- group Strepsorine, mm-hmm. which is part of the primate family, but is separate from the group Haplorine, which is contains everything we categorize as monkeys. Those sound like diseases you could get. It's because they're in Latin. <laughs> All I'm saying is Strepsorine sounds like some kind of cold. Colds are just on the mind for you right now, aren't they, Anna? Eh, I think it just reminded me of strep throat. Probably. But anyway, Strepsorines are lemurs, not monkeys. They include the smallest primates, but the marmoset and tamarin are the smallest monkeys. So if we keep going down that little family tree, that taxonomic tree, the next division is between the two actually regional distinctions of monkeys. Hmm. And technically, tarsiriforms. But we don't talk about the tarsiriforms since episode one. <laughs> we got them out of the way so we could leave them behind. Yes. Some people put tarsiriforms under haplorine. Some people put it as tarsiriforms, strepsorine, haplorine. But we don't, we're not talking about tarsiriforms. We're leaving them in the past. We're burying <laughs> them. So, under haplorine, in my mind, because I put tarsiriforms as far away as possible from me, <laughs> there are two categories. They are platyrine and catarine. Mm. Some of them are platypuses, some of them are cats. No, it's actually, it's actually, the way you identify them is technically where they're from for the most part. So catarines are old world monkeys. And you want to know my mnemonic device for remembering that? What? There's lots of big cats in Africa. And Africa is the old world? Most primates are in Africa and then Asia. For example, the old world of, like, Europe, which is the people who named this, obviously, because they considered South America the New World. And that's where the Platyrines are from, which I remember because I think of, like, Mesa Plateaus, which I don't think are in South America. I think those are in Australia. You're asking the wrong person. I'm very uneducated on this subject. Neither of us are geography majors, obviously. Look, I put all of my brain power into fiction, and so I know nothing about the real world. Anyway, we're still trying to just... We haven't even gotten to the to the Marmosets yet. We're just working our way down this tree. So, we've made it to the Platyrines. And under the Platyrines, there are a bunch of different species. But the one we're looking at is the Calatrichidae, which is a real fun name to say. Calatrichidae. Yeah, see, it's fun. Yeah. Calatrichidae. And that includes the Marmosets and the Tamarins. Now, similar to bonobos and chimps, there is a very fun way you can tell them apart. Is it about sex? No. Remember, we talked about middle parts with bonobos and chimps. Right. Is it another part? Is it another hair part? It's another hair thing. So, marmosets. Marmosets, honestly, are the least interesting of the two in this aspect. Mm. So, they're known for having little ear tufts. Oh, I see. So, where their ears are, there's like little poofs of fur. Mm -hmm. So, that's what they're known for. And here's what you're going to really love. Tamarins, who we are not talking about today, 
are known for their glorious facial hair. Do they have beards? They'll have beards. They'll have mustaches. There's some that have, like, kind of the classic, like, villain mustache. There's some that have, like, the, um, what's, like, the- Fu Manchu. The Fu Manchu. They've got lots of glorious, what we would think of as facial hair. That is hilarious. So, aside from their amazing facial hair and ear hair, (laughs) there's another key difference between marmosets and tamarinds. This is the third time we've recorded this, folks. Yes, because I can't pronounce anything. And in trying to pronounce these very similar terms, I keep messing it up and confusing myself. These words mean nothing at this point. So, tamarins, who are the mustache people. (laughs) Sorry, no, 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 not mustache people. They're the mustache monkeys. Monkeys can be people, too. Yes, actually, that's exactly the point. That's why I have to differentiate. (laughs) But the mustache monkeys are polygamous with poly, G-A-M-Y, which means one individual can have multiple partners. It does not have any gender-specific divide. Yes. Which means that their social groups consist of a relatively, never exactly, but a relatively even number of male and females. Mm -hmm. And of course, there's internal hierarchies within that dynamic that control access to mates, but there's not, say, one dominant male who only has access to females, which Which is polygamy, polygamy, which is spelt poly, G-Y-N-Y. So there is a two-letter difference between those and it is very hard to pronounce because one of those letters is n versus m yeah it's polygyny versus polygamy yeah so have fun in this audio medium differentiating that basically it's what we would call in humans a polyamorous no that's not what we call polyamorous no i'm saying like not it's what we call polygamous usually (sighs) which is why it's confusing because the scientific term The technical term is different than the colloquial use of that term. Oh, boy. And the reason that in humans we tend to use polygamous when when referring to polygyny Mm -hmm. is because polyandry is very rare. Yes. Especially in human societies and even in the whole primate system. In fact, one of the few cases of polyandry is in marmosets. And... Because we haven't explained it, polyandry is when you have one female and multiple males. Yes. Which Anna did not know before this. No, I knew that. Okay. Marmosets, who are our main topic, are not polygamous, nor are they polygynous. They are polyandrous. Their social group is polyandrous. Yes. Mind you, this is all for the most part. There are always exceptions to these rules, whether it's in humans, whether it's in other primate groups. There's always some some weird sect that has one guy and a whole bunch of women. Yeah, there's always exceptions. But for the most part, marmosets are classified as a poly- having a polyandrous social group. I see. And this usually includes one female, mm-hmm. one reproducing female, mm-hmm. as the term implies. The queen marmoset. Oh, We're getting am I right? close to the am queen. I right? Well, it reminds me of the naked mole rat queen, right? That's what, that's what I was thinking of. And, and like, we're getting queen bees. 
We're going to get even closer to the naked mole rat queen as we go on in this. Ooh. Not in the horrifying way that your eyes are telling me. <laughs> so she doesn't control their reproductive abilities? No, she does. Ooh. But we're getting there. First, the social group usually consists of the main reproducing female to, this is her difference from the naked mole rat queen, non-related males. Oh, thank goodness. We're not back to incest. No, we're not back to naked mole rat incest. We're talking about non-incest. Non-incest marmosets. So yes, to non-related males and her previous offspring. So her children that are usually... Well, I mean, you know, the one downside to that. What? They're not immune to cancer. (laughs) Naked mole rats aren't necessarily immune to cancer either. They're just... Listen to our Naked Mole Rat episode to understand what we're talking about right now. Incest is the cure to cancer. I thought, no, you can't say this, but I'm sending this to a teacher, Anna. <laughs> this cannot be. Look, that's the, that's what I learned out of that episode. I apologize greatly to the poor professor who I won't speak the name of who's listening to this. Um, if you want to learn about more horrors of my relationship, please listen to our Naked Mole Rat episode and catch up with what my family knows of the horrors of my relationship with my partner. Look, I'm just interpolating the facts that you give interpolating? me. Interpolating? I think that's a word. Interpolating? I do not think interpolating is a word. We're going to find out, folks. But while she's distracted trying to Google that on her phone, I'm going to quickly actually describe what this social group is. So it's the mother to non-related males and the offspring of these three. Okay, I was more accurate than I meant to be. To interpolate. To alter or corrupt something such as text by inserting new or foreign matter. (laughs) So that's exactly what you do. Yeah, I interpolate. So I, I was wrong, I eat my words, but... But I didn't exactly mean to uh, call myself out that strongly. So yes. Now, getting back to how this relates to naked mole rats. Now it seems like the naked mole rat episode is a prerequisite. I promise you it's not a prerequisite to this episode. No, it's not. It's a prerequisite to Anna's love, but it's not a prerequisite (laughs) to this episode. Yeah, no, I don't love you if you haven't listened to our naked mole rat episode. Over the break, send her an email asking for her love. And she will send it back to you as long as you give her a fun fact from the Naked Mole Rat episode. Exactly. But yes, so part of the reason that it's actually useful to this group that the younger siblings stay in the family is because they can help with these twins that ages ago we started this episode talking about. Mm -hmm. The fact that the Marmosets almost always have twins and the younger siblings can help with these twins because as any parent of twins or any kind of multiples, which is the term used for any birth where there are more than one offspring at a time, is that they help raise the next round of offspring, their younger siblings, essentially. Mm -hmm. Which... Free labor. Yeah, free labor, which as any parent of multiples can tell you, is a (laughs) lifesaver. Having help when you have two screaming children at the same time is very necessary. Let's talk to uh, our our roommate's mom. Twins are a lot. And we'll get into how they're a lot even more for humans, aside from the fact that we don't live in polyandrous groups. But the other interesting part of this, which 
was supposed to be the only connection I had in this episode back to <laughs> Naked Mole Rats, to make sure that the other offspring help out with their younger siblings, is the fact that the dominant female marmoset releases a pheromone that prevents ovulation in the other females. Oh, so she's controlling the fertility of the females. Similar to the Naked Mole Rat Queen. <laughs> I see. And what's really interesting is this has been how they tested this was they similar to kind of the naked mole rat test they had a group in of course a clinical study so a captive study is what we'd call it in marmosets or not specifically marmosets in primatology we'd call it a captive study and they had one of these polyandrous groups and they took one of the female offspring away put her in a different enclosure and introduced her to a male and she was able to get pregnant and reproduce I see. Part of the reason the siblings are inclined to save the group, because in an evolutionary perspective, which we just finished our evolution series, why would you want to stay in a group where you can't pass on your genetics? Because you don't know any better. Well, no, it's because you actually do pass on some of your genetics through, I can see the look on your face, this is not, we're not becoming naked bull rats, we're not going back to incest, it's because of inclusive fitness. Ah, I see. So, it's, it's gyms that allow everyone to work out. What? Inclusive fitness. God. <laughs> we Anybody. don't even have kids. <laughs> What's going to happen when we have kids? The dad jokes are going to get out of hand. Now, you don't have siblings, but if you did, like me, you would know that you actually share about probably 50% of your DNA with your siblings. I see. Because of crossover and all that stuff we talked about in our evolution series. I'm sorry, this is becoming a real tie-in to listen to the rest of our podcast, so I apologize. But... This uh, is just an ad to her class to listen to the podcast. The only person who has to listen to this is my teacher, so... Make the rest of the class listen. So, if you have siblings, you are technically 50% related to your siblings. I see. Because of crossover, you're not 100% related to your siblings which you would be if you were identical twins because you have the exact same genetics. Mm -hmm. But because of how oocyte, which is egg and sperm reproduction works, you technically share, you could share more or less, but you technically share about 50% of your DNA with your siblings. Gotcha. Now, in looking after and raising your siblings then, mm -hmm. you preserve 50% of your DNA to the next generation. Oh, I see. So there is a level of evolutionary fitness that has an advantage through helping with raising your siblings. I see. And there's a formula in animal behavior talking about when it is the is the cost benefit analysis mm -hmm. of when it is more worthwhile to stay at home and help raise your siblings and gain evolutionary fitness through the inclusive fitness of your siblings versus when there's a higher benefit of going out on your own and founding your own group or your own territory. So what makes that difference? It's it's very difficult to tell, right? Because we can't see, we're also assuming that birds and in this case primates are not making a lot of mathematical calculations of, all right, so if I help raise these twins, then that's 50% of my DNA passed on twice versus if I passed on 50% of my DNA through reproduction passed on twice and, the, and had my own set of twins. It's hard. We can't read animal brains. So Not we don't yet. know how they're doing that. But from 
our interpretation of their actions. There's some sort of analysis that we see as an evolutionary analysis of, okay, is it, wor is it more worthwhile for me to raise my siblings or for me to take the risks of going out on my own so I can have my own children? The primatologists uh, found some marmosets making pro-con lists. Yeah. Yeah, they're making a pro-con list about moving out of their parents' place. That's what we found. Exactly. Just chiseled into stone tablets. That's yeah, and the knew. thing that and the thing that we were interested in was not that they were writing. <laughs> it was that they were deciding if it was worthwhile to move out of their parents' place. Exactly. They were going like, okay, how much do groceries cost? And like, how much can I work in a week? And yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah, no. And that was the most interesting part. But yes, so... Because of this, that is one of the reasons that it can actually be less, not necessarily advantageous, but less risky for the dominant female to have twins. And the reason that all this help is helpful is not just because you have a babysitter. Yeah. So you can take a break. It's so you have a babysitter that you can take a break and get food. And also you have multiples. So, I mean, if you lose one, then you have an identical copy. Not identical. Oh. But we're going to get into that. After the break. So yeah, I had a different plan for what this break was going to be, but then I realized we hadn't uploaded an episode in over a month and that this was going to go up in basically December. So what I wanted to talk about was I wanted to talk about the holidays. Oh, I wish I had some jingle bells. Allie, insert the sound of jingle bells here. No. I'm what, not doing that. What if I send you, like, a, uh, a copyright-free version of, like, a little thing of jingle bells? How about this? Uh, I hope you don't mind, Professor, but I'm going to let her edit this one little clip of jingle bells playing now. There we go. Happy holidays, folks. Not necessarily Christmas. That's what we celebrate. But whatever holiday you're celebrating this season, I hope you enjoy it. And I hope that you do so safely. And I know it sucks. I live across the country from my family. And this is the first Christmas ever that I won't be getting to spend with them. In fact, thinking about it now... By the time I'm awake in the morning, they'll have already opened presents and had most of their Christmas day. I'll be calling them at, like, Christmas dinner when I'm getting up in the morning. So it's a hard time. But please, I know that cases are ramping up in Canada, just all around Canada right now. And especially in the States as well. The States never stopped. But Not that we did. <laughs> we, we had a down curve at one point. Mm, that's a good point. So please celebrate the holidays in whatever way you can that is safe. But the other thing I wanted to suggest is Christmas shopping. Christmas shopping. Do or, it online. Or holiday shopping, we should say. So if you're shopping for gifts, what I would... Uh, suggest? What I would suggest is, if you can, shopping from local businesses. Mm. Because they're the ones that have been hit the hardest by all of this. I know I'm certainly guilty of this shopping at Amazon, just to, especially at the beginning of this quarantine, when everything just decided it was closed. <laughs> Not that they had to close, but when everything closed down within a week. And I was like, oh, I need this stuff. So there's been a lot of Amazon shopping. And there's also I been a lot of cardboard boxes to take out on recycling day. 
Yeah, it's fine. I also got a dog, so I had very few options. A dog that she buys new toys for every week and has a subscription box for. I have two subscription boxes. You have two subscription boxes? I'm seeing which one I like the most. Oh my goodness. But if you can, shop from local businesses or shop online from smaller businesses. Amazon, all the big online companies, they're going to be okay. And if you can, if you want to stay extra safe, there's a lot of businesses that are offering um, different online ordering options or like you can look at their catalog online and uh, just pick it up in store and pay very quickly. Yeah, there's a lot of curbside pickup and stuff. Yeah, which will also allow for people who don't have access to that option to kind of come in and they can have more customers that way. So yes, if it's feasible for you, It'd be great to shop locally, and even if it's just local brick-and-mortar stores. Because then you're showing the business that, hey, shopping in person is still important. Please hire people that need work. But if you're going in person, remember to wear a mask and keep your distance and stay home if you feel sick. And wash your hands. 20 seconds. Happy holidays to you. I know my family's listening to this, so Merry Christmas, and I'm sorry I can't be there. But to anyone else who's listening to this and feeling a little lonely... We wish you all the best, and it will get better. It'll take time, but things will go back to some semblance of normal. <laughs> and if you'd like to contact us with your holiday wishes or for extra holiday wishes. Or to tell me facts about the Naked Mole Rat episode. Or, yeah, or to receive Anna's love, which sounds so wrong now that I think of how that's phrased. Receive my love by talking to me at Zoological Bites, that's bites with a Y, at gmail.com. I will be staying far away from that email address based on the things she's asked you to send her. Send me naked mole rat pics. Now, you were catching on to something right before the break. Something about having... Oh, identical twins, or the lack thereof. Yes, so you were thinking that marmosets had identical twins. Well, yes. And here's the crazy thing. They almost always have dizygotic, so twins. Fraternal. Yeah, fraternal. So identical twins are monozygotic, which means they come from one egg, one oocyte, and are fertilized by one sperm, versus digizotic, which come from two eggs and can be fer- and are fertilized by two different sperm. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the crazy thing with marmosets. Could it be two different fathers? There are two males in the group, aren't there? Yes, I was right. So, this does not always happen. <laughs> These eggs, there are two eggs released for the ovulation cycle of a marmoset. Mm-hmm. And they can be fertilized by two different sperm, potentially from two different fathers. So, if we do some math on this... If they were just dizygotic twins, they had the same mom and the same dad, Mm -hmm. they would share 50% of their DNA. Yes. Correct? But with marmosets, there's a chance that they'll be half-siblings. So they would only share 25% of their DNA. Which would mean they only share 25% of their DNA because they only have the same mom and two different dads. And that means that there's more genetic diversity. Which increases fitness. Yeah. Because it creates... More chances for that genetic diversity, which might have advantageous traits. Mm-hmm. And if you continue this on, there's actually an even higher chance of genetic diversity. Marmosets, if we continue doing this math, 
the relationship between two twins can actually be as low as 12.5%. Mm. And how this happens is because of something that sounds really cool, genetic chimerism. Ooh. So have you heard of genetic chimerism? Uh, tabby cats. Okay. Do you know what, chi- what is a chimera? Do you know a chimera? Yeah, yeah. A chimera is like a mix of different DNA. Okay, I was thinking like the mythical creature chimera, but yes. So genetic chimerism, it's when your body actually presents more than one genetic code. Yeah, I was wrong with Tabby. I think it's tortoise shell cats that are chimeras. That would mean my kitty back home is a chimera. I'm going to fact check this while Allie spits more facts. Most male tortoise shell cats are chimeras. Oh, interesting. Well, then my kitty would not be a chimera because she's a Well, most males, but I I assume some females can be as well. Now, genetic chimerism is when your body presents more than one genetic code. So essentially, you have the genetics of two people in one. You get a two-for-one bundle on genetics. (laughs) I beat you to that joke because I know it was what was going through the gears of your head. And this most notably has happened in humans. Now, not most commonly, but most notably has happened in humans in the case of Linda Fairchild. Which, I'm not sure if the name rings a bell for you, but when I tell the story, it might, it might start to ring a bell. Oh, probably. Now, Linda Fairchild, she had a couple kids, and she had to file, she was going through a tough time with her partner, and she had to file for benefits. She had to file for financial aid as someone who was below the poverty line. Oh, gotcha. And to do that, she had to prove that her children were related to her and her partner. I remember this story. So when they got the paternity and maternity tests, it turns out her children were not genetically related to her, which is crazy because she very much gave birth to these kids. It's like, hey, I watched this happen. I felt them come out of me. And she went through this crazy court battle to try to prove what was true. She gave, like, how do you prove something that is so obviously true? That you gave birth that these are your children. And eventually it took her hearing about another case. This was less popular because it happened in the UK. A woman who had a similar situation and had herself genetically tested and found out that she was a chimera. And it turns out Linda Fairchild actually in the womb had a twin, which she absorbed but maintained her genetic code. Oh. So not only... Did Linda Fairchild contain her own DNA, but she contained her twin who didn't survive to reproductive age, so shouldn't have an influence on evolutionary fitness. She contained enough of her sibling's DNA that she was able to have children that weren't related to her. Interesting. And more commonly, this actually does happen between human twins, except so far we've only been able to detect them sharing blood types. I see. So having a small proportion of a blood type between fraternal twins that belongs to the other twin. So if we're thinking about our roommate, if Sam has a kid, then... Um, she hasn't... She didn't absorb Cass. <laughs> but Cass said, still lives. So there's no chance that they could be uh, related We don't to- have that data yet. It's very hard to... Because these aren't cases that you check for very frequently. So far, between fraternal twins, we've only detected the fact that they have, they're able to share blood types and reproduce their siblings' blood type. I see. Their twins' blood type. 
Marmosets, on the other hand, completely share DNA. There are cases, mind you, the study that I've been looking at is a genome sequencing of a single individual, but there's evidence of this in other individuals as well, where they have oocytes, which are reproductive cells, mm-hmm. from both themselves and their twin. Interesting. And this means that sometimes the children born of a female marmoset can technically be cousins. So if Sam and Cass were marmosets. And Sam had kids. Then they could be genetically related to Cass. Yes. And this is advantageous because say that, let's say we're saying Sam and Cass are marmosets, right? Yes. In the wild, let's say Cass, with all her allergies, yes, doesn't make it to reproductive age. Realistic. In the wild, probably realistic. But the genetic diversity that came from Cass would be preserved through Sam's reproduction, because she could produce children that are technically Cass's children. So that means that Sam's children are screwed. As a marmoset, potentially. Not necessarily, but they could be really screwed. (laughs) But yes, so this allows marmosets to preserve genetic diversity that could be lost from the gene pool it's just it's really interesting it right is. it's they're they're able to have twins that are cousins mm-hmm. and that increases over generation and generation and generation that they can keep having these cousins and their family trees and the genetic diversity of those family trees are so much wider than would be expected as you would watch the genetic diversity change over generations. And to put that into mathematical terms, we can get down to 12.5% average relationship between t- twins in marmoset reproduction, which means there is an 87.5% genetic difference between them, which is a huge margin. Mm-hmm. Now, how does that happen? Magic. Because as we talk, not magic, science, because <laughs> as we talked about with humans, it can take quite a bit for that level of genetic chimerism to occur. You have to absorb your twin. How late can you absorb your twin? Hey, Sam, can you absorb Cass? Is it too late? And it's the leading theory on why they may be able to do this is because of how the placenta is developed. Mm-hmm. So, Anna. What do you know about placentas? I know that it is what feeds, like, it gives a lot of nutrients and stuff to the baby. I also know that it comes out after you give birth to the baby. And I know that some people turn it into dried pills that they eat. Or there was one person I saw made it into a teddy bear. That's horrifying. Yep. Just a flesh teddy bear. Do you want to see it? No, I don't. Neither do our listeners. I'm going to put it in the notes for the show. You don't upload the show, so no, you're not. So, you're partially correct in what the placenta does. You're not correct in what people do to it. I know it might be true, but it's still wrong. <laughs> it might be true, but it's not correct. Yeah, it's not right. Um, the placenta the placenta is an exchange pathway between the mother and the fetus. It both lets the mother send nutrients to the fetus and take waste away. So it's a two-way communication system. Gotcha. In some cases, there's also talk about if the mother sustains a bad injury, the fetus sending stem cells. You've probably heard 
like, yes. news stories about that. That's not what we're talking about. But with humans, the placenta is kind of a closed system. Mm-hmm. For each twin, for both monozygotic and dizygotic twins, most often, a placenta is developed for each twin. You got two placentas. Two, you got two twice placentas. the teddy bears. Yes, twice the disturbing flesh teddy bears. And that means that the exchange is happening purely, for the most part, between the mother and the infant, individually. Yeah, no connection between the twins. Yes. Marmosets, however, only develop one placenta, no matter how many offspring they have. They can only have one teddy bear. They can only have one flesh teddy bear. Yes. Isn't it sad? Can't you hear the sadness in Allie's voice that they can only have one flesh teddy bear? Can you hear the puke coming up in my throat? So, this is the leading theory on how genetic chimerism is so common in marmosets. Because the fact that they all share one placenta means that there's more exchange between the different offspring than there would be in a human system, a human uterus Mm -hmm. having multiples. Now, this does increase risk... Because when one infant miscarries or fails to develop, if they're sharing a placenta, that can essentially pollute the placenta. Mm-hmm. You have a higher chance of losing both twins. You have a higher chance of losing both twins, which is gen- which generally happens in any system because they're sharing a very enclosed space. The uterus is a very enclosed space. Yeah, not much room to move around in there. Yes, and not much room to ex- escape anything that's caused miscarriage of one infant. So that's part of the reason that it's believed that humans, they have a multi-placenta system, because that's a slight safeguard they can have against that kind of issue. But marmosets seem to have developed in in a different way. We don't know the mechanism through which they do it, but evidence suggests that marmosets have some level, maybe not conscious, but some level of control of their ovulation. Hmm. Because when put in a an extremely resource-rich environment, so in a lot of captive environments, they will frequently have triplets, Ah. which would suggest there's a way for them to to control the levels of ovulation based on the amount of resources they're able to intake. Would that mean that if they were in a harsher environment, they, I suppose, they always have twins, right? Not always. So it's essentially an inverse situation. Marmosets have twins about as frequently as humans have singletons, which is the name of only having one child. I'm a singleton. As am I. It's just the name for having one infant at a time. I'm a single singleton. However, in captivity, when given a surplus of resources, that changes again, and marmosets produce triplets at that same frequency. Ooh. That that answers your question? (laughs) That answers my question. Well, my question was actually... In a less resource-rich environment, would they produce more singletons? Presumably, but there's, of course, we can't observe we don't all really marmosets, want to put... and it's there's ethical quandaries with putting them in a resource-poor environment. <laughs> the fact that this happens also suggests that frequency of multiple births and the type of multiple births isn't a genetic trait in marmosets. So having twins is. So producing multiples is a genetic trait, but the frequency of it is something that's self-regulated. Because mm. first-generation captive marmosets are able to switch to this triplet reproduction when put in a resource-rich environment. Mm-hmm. That makes sense? Yes. Humans, on the other hand, there's evidence that shows that this is a heritable trait. 
Yes. That producing multiples is heritable. Mm -hmm. So if you are a twin... You have a higher chance of producing twins. Yes. And this is best demonstrated through the case of the Arland Archipelago, which is an archipelago off the coast of Sweden. Is Oh, it's a bunch of twins, isn't it? I read about this. They were looking at historical records of christenings all the way to the present era. Mm-hmm. And they were looking at the rates of fraternal twins, because that's what happens if there are multiple eggs released at the same time. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, it's a single egg that's split. That doesn't have as much of a genetic connection. That's just a, essentially a mutation, though there's a lot of other factors in there. Yeah. But on this archipelago, there is a higher rate of twinning than on the adjacent mainland. And this is because it has been passed down because it has been proven to be advantageous and sustainable for the population. Which means that mothers had twins, and both those twins survived to a reproducing age. And because they had a higher rate of having twins, they would have had twins as well, and were able to raise those children to a reproducing age. And similar to marmosets, this was likely because of resource richness. The archipelago, because of its unique environment, is able to have a higher density of resources available than the adjoining mainland, which means the extra cost that went into both having a gestation of twins, which is a toll on your body because you're doing double the production, and then raising those twins to reproductive success was worth the cost of raising those twins. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting how these things, this is kind of what my paper was about, how human twinning has developed in an entirely different fashion than marmoset twinning. Mm -hmm. I don't know if this is the place that you were talking about, but this is a place that I've heard of. There is a town in Brazil near the Argentinian border that's famous for the uh, high number of twins that is born there. And it's probably because there is an evolutionary history where that was, it was advantageous to have twins. So that gene has been passed on it again and again. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's increased its prevalence in the community because it's an advantageous gene. Cool. So that was more or less my little rant about marmoset twinning, which there are really rare species in primates for having that ability, that frequency of twinning. And the fact that that frequency of twinning is actually an advantage to them. Mm -hmm. It allows them to maintain their genetic diversity in case of a horrible accident. A horrible, what we call a bottleneck, a genetic bottleneck. They're not going to have a banana plague. Yes, they're, that was a stretch. What Anna's saying is bananas are genetically identical, so if there's a plague that is, I think, currently happening in some places against bananas. Well, there was um, the original bananas, which uh, banana-flavored candies are flavored like, do not exist anymore because there was a banana plague that wiped out all of the bananas. Because they were too genetically similar. Exactly. And that can happen to bananas now. So um, hold on to your precious bananas because they, uh, if one goes, they all go. Well, if one goes and isn't quarantined, they all go. Exactly. Quarantine your bananas, folks. Put masks on your bananas. Marmosets have a much lower risk of that kind of bottleneck. Marmosets are the opposite of bananas. Because they have such high genetic diversity due to the way in which they twin and the genetic variation that they preserve through their twinning, that they have a higher chance of, if there's a sudden environmental change, being able to survive it. And I also apologize to any human twins (laughs) listening to this episode. If you didn't already know that you had a higher chance of having twins, I'm 
deeply sorry for being the one to break that news to you. But you also are a cool mutant, so... Or potentially a cool mutant. But yes, so that's our episode. Our theme song is Rainbows by Kevin McCloyd, and our cover art is by the lovely Anna. And I hope that you had a nice time with this episode, and that in listening to it, you know a little more about the unknown, and that makes it all a little less scary. The lesson of this episode, marmosets are the opposite of bananas. And strangely similar to naked friends.